Hello and welcome to our podcast. I'm Rachel Day. I'm the founder of Flying School. We're a not-for-profit and our aim is to capture the imagination of children to help them learn how to fly, develop their confidence and learn how to help each other fly. On these podcasts, I'll be interviewing a range of different people, asking them to share their stories on what helped them fly and what stopped them so that we can all figure out how to do it ourselves and get some tips and ideas on how we can help our children fly. Really hope you enjoy it. Welcome everybody to this uh, next podcast. I am so thrilled to introduce today's guest who is Vika Eringa. Vika trained and worked as a dancer and choreographer and she's been the CEO and Artistic Director of Yorkshire Dance for the last 14 years. At Yorkshire Dance, she leads a talented team who support independent artists to develop their practice, to create excellent dance experiences for people who have little access, and to support the development of the dance sector across Yorkshire. Vika was born and raised in the Netherlands, and she currently lives in North Leeds with her partner Sarah and their daughter. She is driven by the transformational power of dance and its potential as a catalyst for change in contemporary society, in bringing joy, connection and empowerment in the face of increasing social injustice and the climate crisis. Now, I first met Vika when she was the keynote speaker of NHS England's Women's Conference earlier this year. Our theme for this event was belonging and Vika made a huge impression on us all with her own personal stories of connection and belonging. Vika's style is warm and empowering. I love the sense of freedom and imagination which she embodies. And I just can't wait to chat to her about how she learned to fly and how she helps others learn too. So thank you so much Vika for generously finding some space and I know what is a really busy schedule for you at the moment. Is there anything else that you wish I'd said by way of introduction and hello? Hello, mm-hmm. uh, well first of all a big thanks for having me because I feel very honoured to have this conversation with you. It's a very rich series you're doing and a very lovely question uh, and I don't have anything else to add to the introduction. I love horses, what can I say? <laughs> Perfect. Play the flute, yeah. <laughs> You know, what I love about these podcasts they really are conversations and I never know where they're going to go and where it's going to take us and I've been surprised on so many on so many different occasions Mm. so let's kick off by me asking what does flying mean to you um, as a sort of metaphor how how do you interpret that well it's funny when you first said uh, said it I thought can I fly can I fly I can't fly Uh, so um and that made me think about how uh, maybe when you look back over your life, there are moments where you really feel uh, uh, you feel empowered to to do really great things or to 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 be in your power. Uh, but that the lesson of learning how to fly is not just a it's not a one moment where then you got it and it's fine after that. It's just like it's a kind of like a thing you have to go learn over and over and over again in a way. And then my other reaction was against the flying analogy itself, because I think for me, what's been really important to, I suppose, live a more uh, 
connected kind of life is to be connected to the ground and to my body. And the image of flying is maybe uh, a little bit um, uh, counter to that, uh, the image of, of being above things and not being grounded. And I know that's not what you mean, by the way. So, so yeah, and what it means to fly then, uh, I guess is, um, I, I feel like there are two things that spring to mind when you ask that question. One is a sort of um, a feeling that you get when you feel like you're connected to something bigger than yourself. So, and for many years I've, I've felt that I have that feeling, either when I'm in a really stunning landscape or with my feet in a river or I look out over hills or mountains or I'm in nature somewhere and I feel that sense of the enormity of, uh, of um, you know, a universal power if you like. Uh, you know, some people might say it's God, uh, or, and some people might not like that word, but like something bigger than me, something like it's so magical, and you can get that feeling of being transformed, and it's quite a spiritual feeling. And the other times when I've had that feeling is when I'm dancing, so uh, particularly uh, I remember moments in a contemporary dance class, for example, where I felt like I was flying, where I just thought I could go on forever, where I wouldn't be tired or needing a break or needing a snack or needing a drink where I could literally just where I, was, I, I suppose you call it in flow for you so I've had that uh, when dancing and I've, I also experienced the sitting in an auditorium in a, in a theatre so um, the sad as well as auditorium springs into mind in particular uh, but that feeling where maybe it's a combination of the setting and the the lighting and the and the darkness and the and the, all the the amount of the other thousand people that are there and that communal experience that you have of something that is so beautiful that it sort of lifts you out of your uh, mundane experience and um, and uh, that could that and then and then I made that connection between beauty and spirituality and of course nature can also it's also about beauty so. So, but these are more about sort of like spiritual moments. When uh, the other thing is, if you say when when you when you fly, uh, we had a chance to to make a big bid um, three weeks ago. We got invited to to do a tender for a really prestigious, exciting project, and there was something inside me that kind of resonated about the imagination and the excitement that this opportunity offers. So I ditched everything else that I was doing, and as you know that is a lot already. And I just focused on trying to write this bid. And I think why it struck me so much uh, is because I could use everything that I already knew, all the things that I already had in my kind of toolbox, my, my, my networks, my friendships, my skills, my budgeting, all the things I know how to do and pour it into this opportunity. And so it felt like, um, you know, I was waking up at three o'clock in the morning to go for a wee and I was doing budgets in my head, you know, I was doing the timeline. So but I, it just felt like it really captured my imagination. And at that moment, I felt I was in my power, if you like. Yeah, so, so just, sorry for the long rambling answer, just a couple of... I love so many things you've said there, Vika, and, and just to begin with, when you were touching about being grounded, I'm, certainly for me in this journey of learning to fly, I've learned that um, flying is, is a sense of groundedness. Mm. And somebody pointed out to me very helpfully that um, in order for airplanes to fly, they need gravity. Mm, yeah. Um, <laughs> so that was a really nice sort of link. I was like, yeah, because that sense of groundedness almost allows us, gives us that freedom to fly. So I, 
definitely get that connection between the two and I love that you pointed that out and then I guess just repeating what I've heard you say it's that sense of something bigger than you like being mm. part of something bigger and being within something that really captures your imagination and I loved mm. how you link that to not just on your own but it almost this togetherness with other people mm. that yeah flying yeah brilliant so mm. I'm just wondering that that you know I I don't know but I wonder if the people get to the end of their lives and they've never felt the experience of flying um so I don't know if that's true or not but I'm wondering what has helped you yeah or get to that point where you were able to feel that experience of flying yeah yeah that's a good question and uh I think you know again according to the times that we are I want to just acknowledge how privileged my life was growing up in the Netherlands as um a kind of white person living in a society with a really good education system uh, without a really massive class, uh, you know, class hang up and poverty, you know, we, you know, I grew up in a society where things were okay, it, we, we didn't have loads of really people in severe poverty, we had a really good, we don't have private schooling in Holland, so uh, everybody goes to, to attends the same state primary schools, uh, sorry, and secondary schools, so, you know, um, I think also, uh, in the research of the last sort of 20 years has shown that um, uh, Dutch teenagers are much happier together with I think Danish ones in the rest of Europe because they have a really open relationship with their parents and with their teachers. So I felt that I had a very open relationship with my teachers, most of them of course you always get the ones you don't like, um, and also with my parents. So that sense of uh, who am I, what is it about to live, you know, what what does it mean to live? I think that was a really open, alive conversation uh, and a reflection, whether that was by going to museums or, you know, performances or reading books or watching films. Um, and in that sense, I felt connected to people around me with that question, rather than feeling very isolated, maybe uh, in a world where everything's about making money or being safe or getting a good job, uh, you know. And but that, that also speaks as the privilege, because the privilege was, of course, that I would get a good job and that I would go to university and that, that I always would have enough money to eat. So there's a kind of um, acknowledgement of the, how lucky I was. Um, and then, uh, you know, sort of, uh, that, that, however, that didn't stop me from like being 19 and having, having absolutely no clue. Uh, yeah, feeling really lost as to what I wanted to do with my life and making decisions. And that I've at times felt very, very stuck and very, very lost in my life. So that just shows you that even with all those really lovely things, it could still be really hard, can't it? Um, yeah, and what, and what's, and so yeah, uh, the, um, I mean, I could quite quickly jump to, um, uh, the sort of role of therapy and talking therapy because um, so uh, my father died when I was little when I was seven a, year, uh, a month before I turned eight so that created an enormous amount of trauma and in the 1970s when that happened late 70s there wasn't a lot of understanding about how you might support children to deal with bereavement it was just like oh my god this horrendous tragedy has happened out of the blue because he wasn't sick and nobody quite knew, my young mother didn't know how to deal with it, nobody quite knew how to deal with it. So we did end up um, going to talking therapy already as a family then, my mum and my sister and I. And this idea that you would 
help that talk to therapy would help you to process feelings and uh, yeah get to some kind of uh, truth for yourself about what's next and that that would help that was very much ingrained in me I saw my mother do it you know she said to good example she said to me uh, my pain is not your problem I'm here to help you uh, you don't have to help me or comfort me which of course I wanted to do because I saw how much sadness she had um, so that was very wise of her and then I also kind of realized oh yeah and then contemporary dance <laughs> so you know I was a quite cerebral person but I but it was by falling in love with dancing that I I just became more connected to my body and to the ground and to what it means to be in the body. I mean, I've always been a physically active kid and, and I was cycling everywhere, you know, horse riding and blah, blah. Um, but it was, yeah, so the dance really helped. So I had to move a lot to music and have those experiences. But it wasn't until I was in my 30s that I realised I was still kind of not where I wanted to be you know, in myself. And um, I, I left a job because it was very stressful. And then I ended up in another job and realized the stress had just followed me uh, around. And then somebody had, to, one person mentioned this once to me, this particular, this meditation retreat. And it just clicked and I, I booked on and I went. And um, I think that's if more than anything else in the whole life, everything was just said, that's the thing that's helped me most. And that's sitting still with myself. So it's um, it's called the passion of meditation, uh, and it's not a oh I'll just go for an hour. No, you have to commit to ten days. Uh, you can't learn about it unless you've done your ten days, and you sit in silence with yourself. No books, no radio, no TV. Uh, you just sit with yourself, and you learn about this way of meditating. Uh, and then oh my goodness, then all the. Uh, things that I didn't realize were there just emerged you know this massive pain that I hadn't worked through that was my father dying and rage fury um, indignation you know all this this anger that came out um yeah so somehow the bits of therapy that I'd done hadn't quite managed to open up those doors inside myself so I did that six times in a row <laughs> How do you mean in a row? Like, well, no, 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 it's, it's yeah. six consecutive years. Six consecutive years. Yeah, yeah. No, there is a 60, uh, there are long courses as well. You can do it for 30 days or 60 days, but I have no intention of ever doing that. <laughs> yeah. So that, again, very long answer, sorry. It is a very long answer, but yeah, I just want to pick up on, maybe just take you back a little bit just to check mm -hmm. a couple of things. So obviously the first thing you said was that, Actually, I had a really, maybe with a cultural thing, that open relationship with, with your parents and your teacher. Mm. And I just, I'm, I wonder, what did they do to make it so open? Like, if we are, if parents and teachers are listening to this, mm. how did they... Well, you know, that reminds me of something I said to my uh, daughter's teacher, because he left after two years um, last week. And I said in my little, in my thank you note to him, like, the thing, that made a difference is that he, he was able to be himself so uh, and I think that's what if people are they are in themselves rather than they are their job titles or they are their external perception of what they think a teacher or a, or a parent should be um, I think that's then you allow other people to be themselves and 
I, I had a conversation because I've, I've adopted my daughter and I had a conversation with my mother about what it means to be a good mum and you can ask yourself all these questions you know you should be doing these kinds of activities or these kinds of things and she said ultimately uh, if you live your own truth isn't that the best example you can set to your children is that you you know and I just thought that was such a beautiful thing and I, it's something that I want to remind myself of every day you know mm -hmm. so yeah I think it's maybe that cultural thing of of being brave enough to let down your mask and it's what Brené Brown talks about about being able to be vulnerable and us saying actually I also don't know what's next you know instead of pretending that you know everything or this authority yeah I think there's so much wisdom in that Vika isn't there because I guess what I've learned is that if I don't yeah if I don't know with my children they it gives them permission to figure it out whereas yeah. if they know they, they don't really need to even enter into that thinking do they because yeah. we're always telling them but there is this huge pressure I remember feeling it when I first became a parent this huge pressure to do the right thing and bring them along mm. the right way and not to damage them and you know not yeah. to get it wrong and all of this and so what you're saying is actually maybe the best thing that we can do is be ourselves mm. and know that they'll be okay with that like yeah. the minute we start trying to be the perfect mom actually we're anything but yeah absolutely you nailed it <laughs> I love, well, I love that. I love that advice, and I love the fact that you asked your mum what it takes to be a good mum. I think. I, yeah, I think she might have asked me. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe she saw me not being myself. Who knows? <laughs> There's psychology going on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, I love that. And then some of the experiences. So this open shaping, and you know, you mentioned about privilege and. I think it is easy, maybe it's almost, maybe you're almost guilt ridden when you have privilege that, you know, you should be absolutely fine because you've come from this amazing background. And actually, I'm learning that getting lost is part of learning to fly. Yeah, absolutely. So at 19, you really felt like you were lost. Mm -hmm. And then again at 30, and I'm just yeah. reminding you of what you said right at the beginning, which is, we don't just learn to fly and then we can fly. We're hmm. constantly, constantly yeah. learning. And what it means to fly when you're 18 is very different to when you're 32 or 42 or whatever. You know, they're different things that, that you have to rediscover or discover about. And it's different things you need. And I think that's uh, so hard when you're at school and you think you're doing your GCSEs and your A-levels and it's all to do that one thing. And then you have to figure out when you're 19 what that wrong thing is. And it's a nonsense because we should teach children that they're going to have at least four different careers, probably. Uh, you know, and, it, and, um, and I do think that there was pressure for me to have the perfect life. So there's, there's also something about like three, you know, like how uh, you, get, you get things from the generations above you, above your mum as well. Uh, and I think there was a sense that, you know, things had been quite difficult. And so I was allowed to live the perfect life because I had had everything. So then you have the pressure of having to live this bloody perfect life when you're 19. You think, what's that then? You know, so and, that, that was personal to me. I mean, obviously. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, yeah. True. it's a brilliant insight. And, and yet it wasn't. I mean, you had something so tough to do. Yeah. Mm. That, you know, many of us don't deal with at such a young age. Yeah. I don't know whether it's easier or harder at whatever age it is. No, I don't either. 
Um, but <laughs> yeah, I do love the fact that you, even then in the 70s, there was something called talking therapies and actually you were able to talk your way through it with, with people that you love. Yeah, I think, I mean, that, you know, as you were just saying about the ability to be vulnerable in yourself with your children and the ability to not know, uh, there are things that you could do that are really petrifying to your children that you don't want to do. Like, I now don't know how to carry on living. You don't want to say that to your children, do you? But uh, so it's, it is age appropriate, uh, isn't it? And, and, I, and my mother and my sister were in a horrendous power battle and miscommunication when I was very little. And I, I don't think that experience of being with them in that talking therapy was a positive one for me as a child. Um, but it did lay the basic foundation that, that it really is important to me that it's part of being a happy person that you have these tools that you can use you know yeah and I like the fact that there was an openness about it I can imagine yeah. you know I've certainly seen in other families where we just try and make pretend everything's fine mm. and maybe that's worse I don't know does that help us fly yeah no <laughs> not for me one of the things no, but I, yeah sorry no go on no, I, I look at some other people and I think I have no idea what makes you tick. And that's fine as well. You know, so what wakes me up now is it, like my understanding of happiness or what it means to be alive is just so totally, I understand it's different for everybody. Definitely. Yeah. But what you did find was dance. And that, I'm yeah. just, how did you find and that? Music. Like, how did you work out your thing? If, if um, you're a young yeah. listening to this. And you just don't know what your thing is. Oh, God. You find it. Yeah, and I, so I suppose, again, that's the thing, isn't it? Is like whether you're privileged enough when you're little to just try out a lot of stuff, you know, you encourage you to do a bit of this and a bit of that. And I have to say that the dance that was offered to me as a child, uh, not that it was in my mother's image, she never took me to dancing lessons. It's not, it wasn't at all a thing. But the girls around me would go to ballet, and I just, it wasn't really my thing. The pink, the pink stuff. I uh, didn't see myself there. I was more of a swinging from the trees, rolling around in the mud sort of person. So it was really later that I discovered contemporary dance because I'd studied music. So I knew I wanted to do something arty, something performancey, but I knew it wasn't just me and my instrument sitting in a cupboard. So I put myself in a place where I could do loads of other things. And then that's how I discovered the dancing uh, as a thing. And, and again, because there were moments when I couldn't do it intensively, but for me, it was really important I could do it properly. So I didn't just want to do it on the Monday night and on the Tuesday night. I wanted to do it properly. So I wanted to do two classes a day and do it full time all the time uh, or not at all. Mm. So that was a, that was also a thing um, for me. Yeah, but I, uh, yeah, I can't imagine that you wouldn't find something that, that hooks you into something. But I suppose there are people who don't find their thing. Ooh. Yeah, and that, yeah. Well, I love the tip that is you just keep trying until you... Yeah. And then the other thing I think that the tip I'm picking up from you there is when you do find something, put two feet in and really, really do it. Um, yeah, but I suppose also, like I know that for other people, maybe the social side is much more important. For me, it was never the fact that I went with my friends. I just wanted to do it and I wanted to do it really well. You know, so... But I see, and I know, know from other children that it was actually, it's not whether they go to ballet or jiu-jitsu, it's the fact that the other friend is doing it with them, that that, that matters. 
So we have these different drivers. Maybe having a really close circle of friends is the only thing, you, is the thing that you need to fly. You know, maybe you don't need to become a jujitsu or taekwondo specialist or a ballerina or footballer. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I'm going to have to ask you a little bit about that then, because I mm -hmm. I love that um, statement. Maybe only having a few very good friends around you is all you need to find. Yeah. But how do we find the right friends? Um, ah. Yeah. What is that? Any any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah. I suppose again. Um, I think I feel lucky that I was able to go to uh, higher education to meet up with other people that really cared about the thing that I cared about. And I think in all these conversations nowadays about digital delivery of higher education and so people are staying at home and learning, doing their degrees online, I'm, I'm thinking like the whole point of going there was meeting my tribe. Mm -hmm. And um, and especially if you're a lesbian or, or you belong to minority in another set as I am, or you belong, you know, you have other feelings of not belonging to the main, the norm, if you like. Uh, finding your tribe is really important, isn't it? And so going to university was my way. I'm sure there's loads of other ways of doing that, but finding people that uh, have similar experiences to yours that you can really feel you have a connection with and trust. And I, because I moved to Leeds when I was um, in my late 30s, so um, setting up a new tribe in a different city is really hard in the late 30s, you know, finding that new, so I think these relationships are made early on in life, aren't they? And then they sort of come with you, hopefully. Because um, especially in England, I think, and, and I can't compare it because I only live here, that uh, things are quite closed off. By the time people are very focused on their families and the door kind of shuts and it's all indoors, uh, whereas I can imagine other cultures, it's, it is less like that. And there's more openness to making new friendships later on in life. I don't know. But those, I've, I've certainly spoken a lot with people about how kind of cliques are formed and then they sort of stay there. And it's quite hard to get that, that proper bond of trust and commitment that sees you through friendships, uh, through life. I love yeah. There's so much, there's so much in what you said, and I, and it is reminding me of what you said when we met at the uh, women's conference as well around belonging, mm. because I think I think I remember you saying, Vicky, you know, that you courageously set up a barbecue on the corner of the street. Indeed. <laughs> so there was a bit. There's a sometimes it is about, and when there isn't openness, creating it, but it does take a bit of courage, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's funny because you'd think, why is that courageous? All you need to do is wheel the barbecue outside. Um, and what what's the fear? You know, I can think of a few more things that I've done in my life that are much more scary in a way. Um, and it's also about, but it's actually maybe more about uh, making the commitment, isn't it? Uh, because you can just always be too busy, or always be too focused on other things, but it's about making the commitment to those people on that street even if it means that there's somebody who's, you know, a bit elderly and tells you the same story five times, it's still the commitment to wanting to hang out with them, uh, yeah, or not. But it's made a huge difference. Uh, and I was surprised, and I'm, I'm still working this out because we had a leaving of the teacher last week. So the person that organised the leaving gift, including all the artwork by all the children, and did the presentation speech was me and I was thinking there's a whole uh, group of 20 other parents here 
they're all professionals, they've got pharmacies, they're doctors, they're biomedical experts, they, you know, they, they, they are, they have agency in their lives. Why are they not, why am I doing this again? So there is something about also wanting to do that or feeling the needs for that care. I've got so many lovely warm responses afterwards. Everybody was so grateful. The teacher was so grateful. It was very thankful work to do. We're like, why is nobody else doing it? <laughs> yeah, so I haven't quite worked that out yet. Well, I, I mean, I would say that we, I think skills like that, you know, that interacting with strangers, um, finding your tribe, bringing people into your tribe, letting go of people at times when they, they're not really part of your tribe. Um, that's a skill in itself, isn't it? Oh. Um, I, and I think that we're always trying to crack that, but, it, but there is a huge fear of the unknown. Like if I put a barbecue on the corner of my street, will I end up having to deal with people I don't want to deal with? Will, yeah. will, I end, will it end up being too much effort? Yeah. Um, but actually, yeah. What it brings is this real sense of coming back to your word right at the beginning, groundedness. Yeah. There's a lovely um, quote a friend said to me, sent to me, and it and it basically says, "Flourish where you're planted." Um, and it just that's what that reminds me of. You know, I'm here. Yeah. And um, let's all try and flourish actually by getting to know each other. Yeah. yeah. You shared so many things, um, Vika, around you know how you learned to fly yourself, um, and also we've got some really good tips as well about how we might help others learn. Mm. Um, is there anything else that you would share in terms of how how do we help other people learn to fly? How do you do it? And I don't know if you do it in your role or with your daughter. Oh God, I hope so. <laughs> I, I was reflecting on this and I thought where, I've, where people have most clearly reflected back to me that I'd had, I'd had a helping hand in helping them to fly was me giving them responsibility and believing in them and then giving them the right support. Uh, so not micromanaging or telling them what to do all the time, but saying, actually, I need these jobs done doing, or let's say we need, let's decide together which job needs doing. Can you get on with it, please? I'll see you in two weeks' time. Let me know if there's a problem. So, and that sounds too uh, simplistic. But yeah, and I think you could, and so that made me think maybe I should do that with my daughter, is to, is to say, actually, you know, you can do this. Uh, off you go. And I need you to do it. It's important that it gets done. Yeah, and then people make their own mistakes or not, uh, and they fly by all accounts. I've never seldom had somebody not do that. I've had a few, not many. <laughs> like you say, it sounds simple, but there's so much behind it. So when we give people responsibility like that, um, essentially, I think what we're saying is we trust you. Yeah. And that's the thing that I see. Yeah. It? Yeah, absolutely. And is there anything that stopped you flying over the years? Because yes, from go on totally over and over again. Oh God, no! I've been very, very stuck, and I felt very stuck. You know, after being employed for seven years, knowing I didn't want to work like that anymore, but just not feeling I had the skills to go elsewhere, not knowing how to, or being in a relationship you don't want to be in, and you've known for years you don't want to be in it, but you're still in it. So. Um, uh, so yeah, I've been very stuck, um, and you know that 
it's a bit like one one thing that really helped me make a decision was like this probably was the hardest decision I had to make going back to when I was 19 or 18 it was just the thing about would I go and to do the performance and the dance thing because I had enough kind of if you like a levels to do something sensible you know like industrial design fair <clears throat> and um, I had actually also got a place on one of those courses and um and then it's like this, and then I was, oh my God, I was so stuck with making this decision. Will I, will I not? Because, you know, choosing to do a dance degree is just bloody stupid in every way, isn't it? Like, even if you do become successful, which is highly unlikely because the competition is so ferocious, you have a very short career and it is full of financial fragility and even then. So in many ways, it is a stupid thing to do. And then I thought, if I, <clears throat> will I forgive myself if I see somebody else who did this in four years time, five years time, ten years time am I going to regret that I didn't do it and then I knew it was the right thing to do so that was a bit of one of those catalyst things, it's like no matter how fearful it is and how, meta, you know, how, meta, how much insecurity it holds, I won't forgive myself if I didn't give it a try uh, and you know and, and, I can, and that's what's nicer because when I said earlier on about you have to learn to fly ever down again just because I was stuck in my life before doesn't mean I can't feel stuck now. I can feel terribly stuck sometimes. But you can kind of draw on those things, can't you? Like, ah, will I forgive myself if I don't, you know, follow this path now? Or will I really regret it? That was kind of, that was a pivotal thing for me. Oh, thank you for sharing that. Um, share, I might have even shared this before on a podcast, but I there's a lovely Chinese pro proverb which I live by and it just completely reminds me of that, which is um, easy decision, hard life, hard decision, easy life. Oh, nice. it, just, it just really reminds me of yeah, that. Yeah. Really. Um, that's, but that really, when it comes down to it, um, Everything, if you know, it reminds me of just thinking about the head and the heart decisions, really. And the head decisions would say, "Don't, don't be a dancer." Yeah. <laughs> Rationally, it doesn't doesn't make sense. But actually, the heart is really what drives our energy and is the thing that leads us to flying. Mm. And um, luckily, you you listened to it and were brave enough to pursue it anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really yeah, and it's that thing also. I know. Um, I think Nelson Mandela is quoted with this and I don't actually think it's this quote but that thing about how we're not frightened of our weakness but of the limitless power yeah. and I think that's also something that I always have in my mind um but you know yeah I think that would take me a lifetime to work that one actually it's wonderful mm. though it's very mm. very empowering yeah so what's important to you now and what helps you fly now Vic? hmm It's important and to, those are quite different questions. Yeah, so, you know, uh, my family, it's very important. My friendships, my the climate crisis is extremely important to me. Um, Yeah, and I guess what's just so super important is that I need to do something physical every day. I need to be rooted in my physical self. And the moment I stop doing that, for example, um, when I was writing that bit the last couple of days, or, you know, my partner was off having COVID, and I just thought, all right, that's it, the exercise has gone out the window. 
and just get through the day just makes oh yeah the child was so isolating i mean you know forget about anything personal but that moment i stop doing that i lose my anchor uh, and so that whether it's yoga or whether it's going for a run that's you know that anchors me yeah grounds me and as yeah. we said the grounding is flying yeah, yeah. Definitely. and yeah. just being aware of that like even when it you know it feels like it's a desirable thing to do rather than an essential mm. just being aware about how essential that is yeah it is yeah helping you fly yeah so I'll, I'm just finishing our podcasts in this series just by asking really uh, guests to share a glimpse of anything, any factors that help them learn to fly, whether they're quotes or a film or a book or anything really that you go to that really um, helps you fly that yeah might might be really great for other people to, to know about. Yeah. Um, well, I've already mentioned a few, I think. Yeah. Um, and... You know, like when I was reflecting on this idea of books and films, well, first of all, I'm in the menopause, so I can't remember brilliant things I've seen in the last year. I can't think of it. I know that books like, um, you know, I know why the caged bird sings by Maya Angelou and also the, the Road Less Traveled by Scott Peck. Well, you know, they were pivotal in my life, but that's, that's 30 years ago or, or even more, 40. So, um, yeah, I think questions like, like, what do I want to practice every day? You know, do I want to practice yelling and getting grumpy or would it, do I want to practice uh, smelling the roses? And so this, because, you know, as a dancer, you talk about your daily practice, right? But um, if you're a ballet dancer, you have to do particular ballet class every day. If you're a contemporary dancer, you might actually do yoga or handstand practice. And so it's that thing about daily practice. What do I want to practice every day? I think I come back to that. And that's got to do with meditation as well and mindfulness, of course. Yeah. Is there anything else, Vika, that you uh, wanted to share that, that you haven't been able to? No, yeah, I just, I just want to send a lot of love uh, to people and, and you know, uh, oh, yeah, we, yeah. Uh, the, the, the job of the image of the onion popped in my head then, of this a sense of peeling the onion. Uh, and I think there are some people that go through life and they sort of hold their little onion and they never peel it. And it feels like when I'm asking these difficult questions of my friends, me and my friends are going, oh, why is this happening to us? Or why, how are we responding to it? And what does this mean? Am I real life? That we're peeling the onion. We're trying to figure out what's inside. Um, and they, I don't think you'll ever find that one little thing, but it's the peeling of the onion that's um, important. So I just want to wish everybody a very happy onion peeling. <laughs> Thank you so much. And that does completely, I think almost, you know, when, we, when we're next frustrated or having a rough time, actually just reminding ourselves that we're peeling the onion and it's, yeah. it's not easy. It does make you cry. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yes. I haven't even thought about that yet. Yes. Definitely. Oh, thank you so much again, Vika, for finding space, sharing your wisdom and your personal stories and insights. Honestly, it's just been brilliant. Well, it's a, it's a joy. Thank you. Is there anything, if people did want to know more about the work you're doing, or is there anything about the work that you're doing that you'd like to share if, if people are interested to get in touch? Uh, well, I would just really hope for people to find uh, the, the music that they like best and then go and do find some dancing to that music. <laughs> um, or go with your mates, obviously, if that helps. But um, yeah, I mean, at Yorkshire Dance, we only offer classes in very particular parts of the community. Um, so um, 
I am sure that there is loads of dancing to be had wherever you are, uh, in whatever village that you are or place that you are. Yeah, dance, dance, dance. Thank you so much, Sika. So wonderful to spend this time with you. Thanks again. Thank uh, you, Rachel. I really wish you luck and fingers crossed that that bid um, is successful as well. Yeah. Oh, no, it isn't. I've already heard it isn't. We've already oh. been turned down. <laughs> So there are obviously lots of lessons learned as a result. Um, yes, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I think the lesson for that is you win some, you lose some. Uh, yeah. yeah. In spite of, um, you know, completely yeah. putting everything into it. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah. Really good point. Mm -hmm. Wishing you all the luck. Thank you for everything you do and for everything Thank that you. Yorkshire Dance stands for, uh, because it really is helping people fly from, from my interactions with it. So thank you so much. Thank you. And see you again. See you. So that's the end of our podcast for today. I really hope you've enjoyed our conversation. Please do give us some feedback and please feel free to share this podcast with as many people as you can so that we can all learn how to help children fly. If you would like more information, visit our website at www.flyingschool.fun. Look forward to seeing you next time.